It's Quentin Tarantino's bit where he says the N-word heaps in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I think that bit's funny because he uses the N-word. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, we have fun. Yeah. We have fun. Oh, we do. <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. What are you laughing about, man? <laughs> right, right as I started the... You ready? Ready. Right as I started the intro, you looked like you took a massive swing. Oh, yeah, I did. I thought, his mouth's going to be full of liquid. What's he doing? The absolute madman. That's Oscar, always looking out for whether or not I've got a mouthful of beer or not. Uh, this is, of course, our movie podcast where every week we uh, watch a movie... It's a new release, uh, an old classic or some old ball thing on Netflix. We discuss it, dive into it, give you a bit of a spoiler-free review, and then launch into any spoilers if we feel like we really need to. Mm-hmm. We've got some news and some current events to round out the top of the show, and we'll tell you what else we've been, what, what else we've been digging recently. Uh, yes. This week, we are doing two movies. Two Vs, two if Vs. you will. Two um, Vs. The, <laughs> the yeah. main... The yeah. main movie that we thought we would do um, is The Fugitive, the 1993 Harrison Ford action thriller. But we also both happened to watch the 1970... Is it 1973? Well, it wasn't a cosmic coincidence. We talked about it. <laughs> it's not we like... both arranged hey, to I watch... Hey, uh, I watched um, Roman Polanski's uh, 1974 movie Chinatown. You're like, no Chinatown. way, I watched Roman Polanski's 1974 <laughs> movie Chinatown. We should start a podcast. We should do oh, a podcast shit. about this. Oh, it's our 82nd episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're also going to squeeze in some Chinatowns. So we don't know which one's the main movie and which one's going to fall more into the beefness of pleasure. quite but we'll, sure why we'll you're we so, so strongly caught up on <laughs> Whether or not one is the main movie or not, but let's do it. Because I feel like a main movie gets more discussion. And with our, with our new time schedule that we're trying to stick more strictly to, if we had to commit to one getting less discussion and one getting more discussion, the one that's the main movie should be getting more discussion. Okay. Well, after 20 minutes, you shut the fuck up about Chinatown and we'll talk about the future. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how we go. How about that? Um, <laughs> hey, how you been otherwise this week, boy? How, how, how's the week been treating you? Uh, Sounds like we're a bit fine. grumpy this week. <laughs> yeah, welcome <laughs> on the wrong side of the bird. <laughs> uh, we is we're recording this just after uh, Anzac Day, so had a had a long weekend, and I usually only work four days. So um, <laughs> I, th- I thought for sure you were going to be like so. Uh, Lest we forget. Yeah. And instead, <laughs> no. you were like, so I got a holiday. Did you stand down <laughs> on your driveway with the News Corp? fake candle app blaring uh, the last post from your teeny phone speaker. <laughs> no, but a friend of mine said they heard someone playing the last post on their street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like something that was being encouraged by um by News Corp. Yeah, it's like, cool. Download our app. We're definitely, we promise we're not going to sell all your data. Uh, <laughs> just give it all the permissions that you possibly can. Uh, but don't worry about that. We just need to know who your contacts are. <laughs> was there really are. an app? We just need to know who your contacts are so that you can use this fake candle app. Yeah. Was yeah, there really literally, an app? Yes. And you could just stream the last post and the whatever the first one is. And, um, the, and rev- you could, the reverie. Yeah. And you could uh, hold it. It had like one of those. It was it, it was like a throwback to the early days. Do you remember that um, <laughs> I'm Rich app that costs like $1,000 <laughs> on the app store? And, and it was like a picture of a diamond. Yeah. And there were like 3,000 <laughs> apps that were just fake candles. It reminded me of that. But like we're 10, 15 years later. It's a real oh, blast from the past. That's and, the yeah. good old days of the app store. Definitely when... just exists so Rupert Murdoch could have access to <laughs> every single... <laughs> 
uh, patriotic boomer's data and <laughs> as if he didn't my, already have it. But yeah. <laughs> my favorite old ass app on the App Store, like Gen 1 apps on the App Store, was the Torch app before the phones had a flashlight. Yeah, light, well, you needed where the it. Torch, no, no, where the Torch app was just a white screen. Oh, yeah, with like, a, <laughs> and they're like, turn your brightness up to full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same type of thing. Yeah. Like, don't tell anyone. Yeah, this the app description. Good I don't. Shit. We can't keep talking about this app for too much longer. But the app description was like, <laughs> "Feel free to use this other times, not just on Anzac oh, Day." <laughs> like, yeah, it's like <laughs> you're not the first people to have a fake candle app. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> a fake candle app that also plays the Crazy. last post. Yeah, exactly. I love the last post, that, man. It gets me all emotional every time I hear it. Yeah, that's the point. I was saying to some people, I feel like we take it for granted. We went to a school where they would like at our high school was around for long enough that people that went to the high school when the high school was open in the 30s and 40s died in World War II. And so we had yeah. like a thing where like every Anzac Day or Remembrance Day or whatever, they would like ring, they would like read the names of each a, student from our high school that yeah. died in the war and ring this bell, which maybe isn't funny, but I think it's interesting because the last few people I told that this week were like, wow, holy fuck, that's really intense. But I thought, you know what? Yeah, it is pretty full on. <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So this week on Beef Station, <laughs> we're doing the Fugitive in Chinatown. In the meantime, though, we've got to kick on with a bit of news That's to get right. things happening. Uh, last week was the premiere of some new, uh, some new, some new theme music. Not for this segment, though. That you composed. Not for this segment. You did one for the news. That sounded pretty good. But I did, I, man, yeah. I thought I thought the se- the news music you did for not the news. Music, I thought the the segment music you did for Beef for Pleasure was so fucking funny. Yep. And I know it's like my own content that I'm <laughs> that I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. But you sent me the draft, and I thought I, Jesus I, I Christ. I ironically listened that to that rocks. mix like eight or nine times in a row, and it was stuck in my head <laughs> afterwards. So I'm like, I think this is really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I loved I love where all the words are on the beat. The beefness. Pleasure. Yeah, I spent Business. ages because I went through and I just got uh, like maybe 15 samples of each word, maybe more. And <laughs> I spent ages like picking which ones would happen to like follow on nicely from the previous sample, <laughs> just moving them around and swapping them around. So that that's the order. The order is actually resulting from some pretty careful, uh, careful consideration. Hell yeah. I feel this like the avalanches. <laughs> yeah, this is like that Daft Punk thing with the microphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did. There were a couple of samples where I had them in. I had them in occasionally and I was like, that one sounds too similar to the previous sample. I have to. It's got to be a different one. And like, it, yeah, I ditched some that were fine. Yeah. Because they yeah. sounded too similar or whatever. I was, I was That's real, crazy. You're I got like real the, into my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the Brian Eno of dumb yeah, yeah, podcast yeah, intros. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah All right. Well, let's, too much um, background noise. Yeah. Let's kick it into the news. That's a long-winded way of saying uh, maybe the news music we about to start here is done. Oh, we'll it, hear that. It, it might be. We'll see. It might be. It might uh, not otherwise, be. Otherwise, <laughs> we'll... Um, my, my, I'll get my long-suffering co-host <laughs> to suffer through another rendition of the music. You ready? Looking forward to it. Yeah, let's do it. Beef bullet. Great. Listeners, I'm just going to share a rare struggle with you that every time we do that, we're doing it in real time and Oscar starts and then I have to follow and when we're in the same room that's much easier than it is when there's like a half to a quarter three quarter second delay (laughs) so oscar is holding tempo with me like 
yelling random timing notes <laughs> in his ear the whole time through it. So um, it's it's like trying to count to a hundred when someone's like one, three, seven, nine, <laughs> yeah, forty-seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I was just like, that's in tempo. You can't even not do it. I would listen to a podcast that was just <laughs> just someone someone, <laughs> for trying an hour. To, someone trying to sing on tempo and someone trying to stop them from singing on tempo in any way that they can. That's a great podcast idea. All right, that's good. All it's right. like it's Short like those podcasts that are just like yeah, yeah yeah. All right, <laughs> <laughs> it's like those podcasts that are just to help you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, couple of quick a uh, couple couple of like. A couple quick headlines about big TV shows uh, reuniting for specials soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Parks and Recreation cast is reuniting for a Corona charity episode uh, soon. Okay. In- have you ever seen Parks and Recreation? Uh, I've seen episodes here and there. I might not even have ever seen a whole episode. I might only have uh, seen YouTube best ofs. That's the thing. I feel like I love this show, but I've only ever seen the, <laughs> only ever seen the YouTube best Never ofs. officially watched um, it and you feel like yeah. you're a fan. God, um, that's good. Uh, it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a new scripted episode, mm. a new thirty minute scripted episode. I can't quite see <laughs> whether, <laughs> well, like it's not like oh you know that Friends reunion came uh, it was rumored and it's like oh it's a live Q and A. It's not a reunion episode. It's a reunion of it's the an cu- actual it's, reunion. It's the cu- yeah, this is an episode. Right. Um, <laughs> I haven't quite seen on this new story, they haven't confirmed whether they've already filmed it or whether they're going to film it soon or whatever. But right. in any case, um, all the sponsors they have for the episode, they're going to be raising money for this like food bank charity in America. And they are raising donations up to half a million dollars until May 21st. They're raising uh, donations they're raising, up to they're, a total ra- of sorry. half a million dollars? Sorry, they're raising, they're raising money. And they're accepting donations and up to half a million dollars, um, the writers and cast and a whole bunch of sponsors they have are matching those de- those donations up to half a million dollars. Okay. And then after that, it's just whatever people put in. <laughs> or yeah. after that, are they saying like, nah, baby, that's profit. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Pratt's got to eat, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's still charging us like $2 million salary for this app. <laughs> If he has to be painting, painting canned tomatoes, so be it. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you meant that they were taking unlimited donations, but that the donation size that they were limiting it up to was $500,000. They're like, just sorry, guys, you're going to have to be aware that there is a cap of a single donation. It's if like you a want to donate, thing. get in early. Yeah, it's like that $4,500 yeah. political <laughs> donation cap. It can't be more than $500,000, so just... No, sorry. you're right. I miss. I'm, 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 <laughs> I was like, I miss both, what are you envisaging will happen? <laughs> um, like every uh, billionaire is going to watch this episode and try and donate seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Fuck, I can't. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, another special that's happening, happening soon. Did you ever go in on the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? No. Good show. Uh, it it's good. Th- by the same people that do Thirty Rock. So that's um, <sighs> Alec Baldwin. Tina Fey. No, Tina Fey, Tina Fey writes it and, and created it with Robert Carlyle or Robert oh, sure. Carlock or something. Some dude named Robert and Tina Fey. And I really think Thirty Rock's one of the funniest shows that's ever I've ever. Really gets my sense of humor. If you know Ka- what I mean, Carlock. Yeah. Fuck! I wish I think I said Carlock too. You did. You did. God damn. Um, yeah. So it's it's their show. It's been on for a couple of seasons, and I've really enjoyed it. And they're coming back for a new special soon. Uh, called Kimmy versus the Reverend. That's going to be an interactive TV episode, like that Bandersnatch one. Oh, okay. 
and they've released a trailer for it where there's lots of like I don't know gag choices where you'll pick one and they'll be like why the fuck would you choose that and they'll, right. they'll give you like a real choice and a choice that's obviously dumb and you pick the obviously dumb choice and the characters die on screen and shit like that um, oh, that's good I'm looking forward to it. I really like uh, Tina Fey. I really, I, re- I really like what I've seen of Kimmy, uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy. Unbreakable. Shit. Yep. New episode coming soon, and it's an interactive one on Netflix. If you haven't gone in on uh, Bandersnatch, I if have only not. for the fact that it's. Have you never done it? I've just never found time. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you never done, dude, I was the most surprising thing for me was because I've got like a smart TV that's like five years old and it's got this like janky ass Netflix smart TV app mm. on it. It's it worked very on first that. gen smart. TV, yeah, but it yeah. worked on that. Yeah, cool. the Bandersnatch thing, <laughs> like controlling with my TV left and right and yeah, into yeah, a button. Yeah. That is pretty. Crazy, I was yeah. so surprised that that fucking worked. I'd be more surprised um, that you can that they've integrated like really easy touch controls on it. That's pretty neat. You have touch controls for your television yeah. show. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's like very strange. like the, the, well, yeah. they just did. I I want to know whether they just had to subtly like roll that out or what. Like in any case, Bandersnatch is interesting, and I'm looking forward to the technology being applied elsewhere. And mm. break, Kimmy Schmidt's great. Um, sure. Quick one here is that Daft Punk are going to be scoring uh, a new movie. Okay, it's a it's Italian Tron Legacy. Yeah, it's an Italian horror movie called Dark Glasses. Black Glasses. Black Glasses. Black Glasses. That's all I got. Okay. Uh, That's pretty cool. I uh, yeah. really, really love their movie score. I listen to the one from Tron Legacy still to this day. It's really, really I've never good listened music. to it. It's really good. Um, very yeah, well, I'm not much of a movie score guy. There are heaps of people that listen to loads of movie scores when they're working in that. I'm not really much mm. of a movie score type dude. No, I love it. Yeah, um, all the time. I like, put the uncut gems one on all the time. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, this this uh, John Legacy. Yeah. Well, this Italian director you might know. I've never heard of him. His name's Dario Argen- Argento. No, not off the top. Um, no. Okay. Well, that's that's the new movie they're working on. It doesn't quite. Do you think I know him personally because I'm Italian? That's fucking yeah, racist, the, man. We the, don't the all know each other. Hair. Okay. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, to be fair, you're currently oiling, <laughs> rubbing olive oil into your black chest hair as we speak. Hey, so. what I do off mic is <laughs> my business. Okay, that's my it's only business. Technically off mic. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, don't have any other music here. I, I oh, saw he did the original like, Suspiria film. That's that's who that. Guy uh, is. Okay, right, no, I'll yeah, fuck yeah, this guy. Which is apparently uh, very good. I, <laughs> I, I saw I saw um, a few a few headlines online. Be like, oh, it's a new Daft Punk album. No, it's not. How many of you people that are excited for the Daft Punk album are also listening to the Daft Punk uh, Tron orchestral score? You know, no. I think <laughs> I think I really realized how shitty the world was getting when, not when anything affected a significant number of people or <laughs> sure. when I realized that systemic oppression was a problem or like when my class consciousness awakened. Go on. But, uh, but when Daft Punk didn't release a new Alive 2017 album. That was when I knew things were bad. You can't form a pattern with two. Po- you can't form a form a pattern with two points of data. You know. No, I know, and uh, you know, and I, I, I feared that it wouldn't happen, but then it didn't happen, and I thought mm. <laughs> they went out to make music. They were just out to spend twenty years proving a mathematical theorem. No, I just thought life is life. They is would. Bad. Yeah, you thought they would, wouldn't you? I, Especially I since that would be such life a is such bad. a new live album yeah. sound. Because they were going off all like a whole live band. Yeah, it was right off the back of Get Lucky. Like, yeah, I just thought they would, and no, I feel know. like I feel like I knew they would. You know what I mean? 
when you're so confident in something, you don't even think it's the case. You know it's the case. Yeah, but then as we drew nearer and nearer, I feared more and more. And I doubted more and more. And I was mm. right to do that. And, and they it got never to December 31st, 2017. You're like, you know what? It might still happen. <laughs> I think it might have been It might have been on New Year's Day 2018. I messaged people and I was like, you know what we didn't get? <laughs> we didn't get that album we were promised. They're all blocking you for when 2027 comes out. Oh, God. Fuck, what if they release their live album in 2027 and it's all just random access memories tracks? That, I w- I'd just, <laughs> I'd kill myself. <laughs> I really like random access memories. Um, yeah. In any case. <laughs> Okay. Uh, a quick, a quick one here is: Do you remember that uh, Seth Rogen pickled movie that was coming out? Uh, no. Uh, Joggy memory. Seth Rogen uh, did an adaptation of like a, I don't know, it was like a series of short stories that were published in the New Yorker or some shit. Okay. Um, an American pickle is the name of the movie. It's this new Seth Rogen thing, and the new news is that it's uh, been given a release date on HBO Max in Ma- on May twenty seventh. Okay. Because it was going to be delayed because of the box of a shit. May 27th. An American pickle follows an immigrant worker at a pickle factory in the 19th century. It's all starting to make sense. Who is accidentally preserved for 100 years and wakes up in modern day Brooklyn. Hello. He learns that his only, his only surviving relative is his great-grandson, also betrayed by Seth Rogen, a computer coder who he can't connect with. So it's like 1920s Seth Rogen, let's say 20th century, accidentally pickles himself and wakes up 100 years later. It's, it's, it's like a fried, lo-fi fried Futurama. Futurama, yeah. Yeah. Um, instead of a potato, he's a pickle. Fry? Potato? Yeah. yeah. Very clean. Very <laughs> I don't clean. traditionally go in on Seth Rogen's movies. It's that brand of like American... Dumb American comedies where I feel like it's just going to be like, oh, the dude gets stoned, I'll bet. And he goes to a fucking... Uh, yeah, bro, have you seen Pineapple Express? They so much <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, last news headline here to round it out is actually one that I'm pretty excited about. I think it sounds quite cool. Starting on May 29th, there is going to be a new online film festival with movies curated by the Cannes, Berlin, Venice Film Festivals, the Sydney Film Festival, the New York Film Festival. There's about 20 different film festivals all around the world that are curating content that is going to go online on YouTube for free. Um, oh, it's as free. part of this uh, We Are One Global Film Festival. It's going to be 10 days of free programming on YouTube curated by all sorts of international film festivals, including the Tribeca Film Festival, the Cannes Film Festival, Berlin, Venice, uh, Toronto, New York, Sundance, BFI London. There's a huge list here. That's actually sick. I might really make time for that. I um, I heard about this today and I, I was like, oh, that's really neat. I didn't realize it was all free. Yeah. It's um music. It's going to be full length movies. In, as well as that, there'll be like Q and As and talks. There'll be shorts and documentaries. Um, uh, wow. An article I've got here on Screen Daily uh, emphasizes the fact that none of it's going to be new stuff because I feel like anyone that's uh, well, yeah, <laughs> any anyone that has a, a movie that was going to be premiering is probably going to be wanting to wait till they can get their own global premiere in theaters later in the year. Sure. But what they've said it's going to be is um, 
films that have either played at participating festivals in previous years or films that didn't receive a wide exposure to a global audience when they were released. Okay. Which is still exciting because I feel like there are heaps of movies that you sort of hear about on like the indie scene or like on Reddit or whatever where you go and look at where, where people saw it or how to watch it. And it's like, oh, it was only at this one film festival and you'll have to wait a year to watch it. Fuck yeah, 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 yeah. So definitely. I imagine there'll be heaps of cool movies that are showing for this. This is all I really have at the moment. They haven't quite announced a lineup or anything just mm. yet because it's mm. not going to happen for another month or so. But yeah. Uh, yeah, stoked. Cannes Film Festival, all sorts of other fancy-ass reputable film festivals are helping to contribute content and curates the program that's going to be 10 days long from May the 29th until June the 7th featuring new and classic films from 20 films 20 festivals around the world great cool and then I, I suppose they're going to be somehow trying to raise money to support the World Health Organization and regional relief partners okay looking well, forward cool. to it yeah well I guess we'll give details out about that as we hear about it um, people can follow it I'll be following it that yeah. sounds really really great and there's all sorts of interna- uh, more international type locations that they'll be contributing content, including the the Macau Film Festival, the Jerusalem Film Festival, the uh, the Locarno Film Festival, the Marrakech Film Festival. So there might be some exciting international type stuff that we would never normally get a chance to see as well. So that's yeah. the end of the news, baby. Great. Looking forward to it. So that's called the uh, global uh, a global film festival, and it's going to okay. be on YouTube at the end of the month. Or at the end of May. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we uh, youtube.com slash we are one. All right. That's the news. I've got a very brief little bit of beefness or pleasure. Yeah, what else have you been uh, watching? So we'll whack in. Is, is this where we, what, what do we do now? Is this where I say, uh, go with the theme music and then I, I splice it in later? Yeah, or I can do this. It's beefness or pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. It's a pleasure, the segment where every now and then we have time to ourselves. Where often every waking moment of the day is dedicated to our rigorous and disciplined dedication to our craft, our business, which is watching a movie, watching a couple video essays, and then regurgitating that information straight back at you. But mm-hmm. when we're not doing that, we like to sort of take off our suit pants, take off our suit jacket take off our suit socks and suit jocks and sit on the couch with a cold one and watch something that we want to watch on our own time. Um, This week, I've been getting back in on Letterboxd, which is that social network that lets you... um, It's like an app on the phone that lets you sort of keep track of what movies you and your friends are watching and you can follow different celebrities and comedians and shit. It's like Goodreads for movies. Goodreads for movies. And it's inspired me to go back in on a few movies that I haven't, I've always been meaning to watch. And I watched Seven this week, which is a movie I'd never seen before. Oh, I thought you meant you watched Seven movies. I was like, <laughs> no, I watched, hell. I, I watched Seven, uh, the Brad Pitt so and seven Morgan in. Freeman movie. Yeah, so Seven in. Um, yep. I really dug it, man. I thought it was really cool. I'd never seen it before. Um, I Directed feel like, by David Fincher. Yeah. Um, I feel like stylistically, part of it had maybe dated in, only in the fact that I could see where it's 
what other stuff it had influenced later on, it really reminded me of like a a preliminary true detective, if that makes sense. Like it's a lot of it was a lot of like um very full on murder sequences and some weird culty almost occult superstitious kind of themed serial killing murder type stuff right. that happens a lot in True Detective. Um, it reminded me a bit of Hannibal as well, which is another uh, dramatic TV series from a few years ago about serial killers and murder and shit. Um, and so I, I enjoyed it, but I, I feel like a lot of the time uh, it was it was let down for me by the fact that I could see I was constantly thinking of other, other more long-form media that had done it better. I still really enjoyed it, though, and I, I feel like it ties in quite nicely to the film noir-type aspects that we were talking about, that we're going to talk about later in the episode with Chinatown. Fun fact, it has the uh, <coughs> same cinematographer as Uncut Gems. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> well, I oh, suppose I was going to say, like... <sighs> oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, yeah, the cinema. T- to be honest, the streaming quality on Netflix when I happened to be watching it on that day was so fucking terrible that I was basically watching it like 480p. It sucks, it's crazy, man. right? Netflix is really bad right now. I'm just buying stuff on Blu-ray because I have to <laughs> see the like Uncut Gems. I yeah. really need to get that on Blu-ray because the whole thing it's so visual and it looks yeah. so fucked on Netflix, man. It really didn't yeah. do it justice. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. I, I, I feel like it sounds like I'm detracting from it. I really enjoy it. I really like Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is fucking great. He's so watchable and everything I see him in. So there's the, um, the really playful Brad Pitt character and then there's like Morgan Freeman's quite like... Is he like quite jaded? Yeah. Is well, that they are, they're, they're, both, they're both quite intense in their own ways. I think Brad Pitt's like the new cop that's trying to show him, trying to like prove himself and Mor- Morgan Spurlock literally has like one week left of Morgan a, retirement. <laughs> Fuck, what did I say? Morgan Spurlock? Morgan Spurlock. Morgan Spurlock's like, oh, give me a Big uh, Mac. Blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, like, yeah. Ah, this guy died because he was real fat. Let me see what that's like. <laughs> he was super size. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, Morgan Freeman literally has like one week left of retirement. Um, yeah. Uh, it's basically about a homicidal maniac serial killer type dude who is killing. How did you get Morgan to- Freeman and Morgan Spurlock? <laughs> Because their names are both Morgan, um, who is They're working like towards actually the opposite of each other. That's very funny. <laughs> He's working towards trying to kill seven random, seven random people that their lifestyles conform to each of the seven deadly sins. Um, wh- one thing that did frustrate yeah. me about this was that there's a big-time actor who is famously in this movie who, much like Matt Damon in Interstellar, isn't revealed until a fair way into the movie. And if you don't know who it is, that'd be a fucking cool surprise. Um, um, not anymore? What do you mean? <laughs> is it Kevin Spacey? <laughs> Yeah, it's Kevin Spacey. I suppose oh, I was trying to dodge around it in case someone didn't didn't know. I don't know. Well, it's a bad surprise for two reasons. <laughs> you can edit this bit out, but I'm not sure I would be like, oh, there's a special surprise, and then have the special surprise be a guy who got me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm leaving this in. Fuck it. But all, all I mean is like, in general, I had forgotten. I, I was trying to separate... I went into the movie knowing that he was in it. And so I was trying to accept the fact that I have to deal with that. And it's still a bit creepy, but like I kind of forgot. And so when I came in, I was like, oh, that's right. And I felt stupid when like, um, 
like he, they're trying to find the killer, and it's like, well, I haven't seen Kevin Spacey yet, so clearly they're not that close. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that this movie did a bit of a cheap thing where by the time you find out who the killer is, the, the clue they had, there's like one clue they had really to find out who the killer was. And they just, they, it's almost like the director drops it in the mix when he's done sort of fucking around. Like right. there's like, the, they show you like four or five of these like deadly scene murders that are just gory and they're putting it in front of your face. Uh, and you're like, yeah, solve the murder. And then one of them's like, why don't we check this? And they're like, oh, good idea. And the thing right. they check means they solve, the, solve, solve it. Okay. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a really long time. Um, yeah, it's it's just... it's, But it's not like a, a clue or they're tracking him down or like they're piecing together clues. It's literally just one of them has an idea that they could have had two weeks ago if they'd thought harder. Okay. So there's sort which of is a bit no, frustrating. no motivation for the revelation. Uh, yeah, moving more into the Chinatown side of things, if we can pivot into that then. Mm, um, sure. One of the things I liked about Chinatown was the way in which it played all the different clues together and kind of pieced them together in a way where there was some stuff it reveals towards the end of the movie that's still a bit of a surprise that you never could have picked, but there's a lot of moving parts to the story that you feel like the movie's not lying to you or the movie's not deliberately holding things back. Whereas in Seven, I felt like there's this sequence with library books in Seven Um, where it's like, oh, if you thought to check, if you thought to do this thing with the library books two weeks ago, you would have solved the murder two weeks ago. It's not like Murder 5 gave you a new clue or whatever. Right, right, right. That is a bit annoying. It is a bit. Um, I I feel like our beef is our pleasure for for you and me for the next bit is just that we both watch Chinatown. Hey, so do you want to just move it it into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just start talking about that. So, okay. Cool. Um, Chinatown, it's one of the, it's, it's, uh, I feel like it's one of the most famous films ever made. Um, Yeah. Came out in 1974. It's an American uh, neo noir. I guess if you know much about like noir films, then it's 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 in the later generation of noir films. Um, I don't really know what the difference is between neo noir and noir, but I always thought that neo noir was like about eight years the, of study. I what's think. up, Gumshoe? Uh, yeah, trench coat and hats, detective story into a new co- into a new timeline. Whereas this movie is literally set in like the 1930s. It's set in 39. trench coats and hats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, detective era thing. So it's yeah. a, I didn't realize this. It's actually a period piece. Um, yeah, yeah, which is kind of neat. So it's a tribute to those Humphrey Bogart movies. Yeah. Okay. Right. So like it was it clearly influenced by the original like noir. Raymond Chandler, uh, Dick Tracy. And, like, the, yeah, I don't know who any of those. The uh, the Big Sleep and the Maltese Falcon. I right, think those types of films. That prob- yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, kind of going back and and I think trying to, it seemed like the the screenplay's attempt. This uh, so the writer was Robert Town, and it seemed like his attempt to kind of like perfect that genre, yeah. I guess. So it was directed by Roman Polanski. I just want to address this right at the top before we start talking about it. Roman Polanski uh, is still alive, and he's one of the uh, biggest pieces of shit in the film industry at the moment. Um, he uh, was uh, convicted of, um, uh, and I guess a, a trigger warning for sexual abuse, he was uh, convicted of uh, drugging and raping a 13-year-old girl. Um, yeah. and uh, fled the United States uh, because he had uh, French citizenship, and so he just lives in France. Uh, and he's been uh, bouncing between France, Switzerland, and uh, Poland for for uh, since he since he left, which was in the nineties, I think. Uh, but he definitely did it. Yeah. Uh, he did it at Jack Nicholson's house while Jack Nicholson was away. 
and Holy Jack Nicholson's shit. girlfriend like was knocking on the door and trying to get in and um or well, this is the testimony, but yeah, it was like knocking on the door and trying to intervene and Polanski was like, No, nah, it's fine, we're just finishing up this photo shoot I'm doing of this thirteen year old girl alone. Anyway, um I didn't actually realise how bad it was. I kinda knew that um I knew that there he was problematic, but I had lumped him in with a bunch of like other um I guess as as much as I hate putting it on a gradient, like less problematic people involved in filmmaking well, and he's yeah. one of the worst. So. I feel like being convicted of a child sex crime is pretty high up there in terms <laughs> yeah, of I mean, like, I, I just didn't really know um, just how bad it was. Yeah. And like, it does, yeah, it fun. does give me mixed feelings about um, kind of having watched the movie, but I only found it afterwards. So anyway, if, if anyone's got a problem with that um, and with us kind of like talking about this movie because of who directed it, it's very understandable. Going to talk about it, uh, I guess, divorcing the art from the artist a little bit. Um, but I really uh, am uncomfortable, I suppose, in the same way that I, I'm not going to watch anything with Kevin Spacey in it really. Um, but I also know, yeah. you know, the argument that a lot of people who are involved in this production uh, had nothing, didn't do anything wrong. Um, so, you know, yeah. Anyway, that's the, that's the thing. And I, I feel like this is a, this is a convers not to get too much more. Well, we've into had it. this discussion before. I just wanted to address it at the top. Yeah. I feel like it's to some degree art that's so culturally relevant belongs to the people to some yeah, degree. Yeah, it does. And I feel like it's unfair, it's unfair to culture, to like film culture almost to say you can't have this movie because there's one piece of shit that was involved with it. It was like, we'll just scrub his name from it. Right, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. It was directed by Roman Polanski. In case you don't know, he's a huge, huge monster. Um, In case you do know, uh, hopefully you're you're comfortable with us talking about it, but very understandable if you're not. So, anyway, with that uh, hopefully addressed, moving forward. So, okay, you you loved this movie, right? I fucking loved it. Yeah, right. And it, obviously, it's it, it's a cl- it's a really big classic. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I've never seen. I haven't seen many of these nineteen uh, forties detective movies, but I've always had a bit of a fascination for them. I've seen. I think I've seen The Big Sleep. I've seen most of the Maltese Falcon. I read a couple of Raymond Chandler books when I was in high school, which are like the the most iconic. He's the most iconic author that writes those mm. sorts of stories. Mm. Mm. Um, with like a, a gum shoe with a hat and a trench coat. And I, I think that I'd, I'd never gone in on this movie because I didn't really know that much about it. And I didn't realize that it's like, it, it's made it's made in the 70s. So it's almost like a modern reimagining, modern, I say modern, but you know what I mean? It's a modern reimagining and a tribute to those 40s detective movies. Right. In the same way as that Coen Brothers Western, I suppose, was like a tribute to older westerns kind of thing. So it's like, here's what we would have made. Here's what these detective movies would have been if we had like all this extra cinematic uh, technology at our at our fingertips. And I feel like the difference in cinematic technology between the forties and the seventies is so huge Massive. that you get so much more. Like, even like the cinematography in this is so much more, so much more interesting and so much more stimulating. Yeah. I find and so much more immersive than a lot of the older black and white stuff. Like I watched. It's not a detective movie, but if you, it's it's it reminds me because Humphrey Bogart's wearing a hat and a trench coat yep, in it. Very good. But if you compare this to like um, Casablanca, right. the difference between these two movies is night and day. And I really got excited because it was like, oh, this is. What, I tried to go in on a few older detective movies in the past and sort of been lost in the fact that um, 
it's hard to get really into it when it's black and white and it's small. And but it feels like such a lo-fi take on it. But the fact that this is a beautiful in-color film with a bit more up-to-date technology that helped me get immersed in it made me really get into it a, a whole lot more. Right. Um, it's set in the late '30s in LA. It stars Jack That's Nicholson as a private detective. Um, Robert Towns said that he wanted to That's write. The writer. He w- it's part of this. Yeah, the writer. He wanted to write a trilogy of movies about Los Angeles. I don't know. I don't know what the other ones were. If we ever ended up getting to them, but this was the first in that trilogy. I, I can come back to that later. The second one got made. Okay, great. Well, he was talking about. Um, uh, the, the idea he, he was re- he said this did sounds like a freak he said he was reading like all these old books about like the development of the water table <laughs> in Los Angeles and like all sorts of crazy shit and he, he said that um, he learnt all about this controversy in the in the, uh, in the 30s when LA was cu- becoming like from like a town into like a fucking metropolis yeah and there's a line in, in the middle movie of the desert like, uh, it's LA it's a small town not many people live here or whatever and I was like oh that's mm. so funny <laughs> That's so quaint. Yeah, exactly. And so this, this, this is this, so the the, the key uh, cog in this movie is a scandal that I think is inspired by real life, where um, natural water that would normally flow to farmland was rediverted to feed the water reservoirs of Los Angeles. Right. And so it was back in the 30s where, in this movie at least, where the water is flowing and where, where the water reservoirs are full or dry or whatever, it's like a hot commodity and it's really fucking important. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson works out that um, someone is siphoning the water from reservoirs off into places where they're not supposed to go and he can't work out who it is. Mm. And off on the side, he's been hired by this client that turns into this like murder mystery kind of thing. So you've got this stereotypical murder mystery and then on top of that, you've got this more high-level cultural issue that he's found himself in the grips with, like where's this fresh water It's going? a corruption thing. Like a political yeah. corruption thing, uh, yeah. A political scandal, yeah. The, the person who's murdered, I guess, kind of like crosses, crosses mm. the Venn diagram. The person he's murdered is the, the, the head engineer murdered. for the light. <laughs> he didn't murder him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The person who is killed is the head engineer for uh, uh, LA light, uh, LA Water and Power. Right, right. right. Um, and it was it was brought up in. I, I listened to a bit of the DVD commentary with David Lynch and this writer. Someone posted it on YouTube, oh, wow. okay. and um, they were talking about how how well read that's supposed to show that Jack um, Jack Nicholson is uh, Jack Nicholson's character is because he re- like someone says like ah. Oh, um, John Smith, John Smith was just killed the other day, and Jack Nicholson's character goes, "Oh, the head engineer for Light and Power," right. and it's like, "Who, who knows yeah, that?" Okay, that's <laughs> just, like, that just like one of those movie things <laughs> where I was like, "I guess yeah. back in the seventies, you just knew who the water guy was." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was supposed to be like a no. This guy fucking knows okay. what's going on. Massive nerd. So you said I liked it in a way that made it sound like you didn't. You weren't really that into it. Were you? Uh, look, I didn't mind it. Um, I so I watched it. Um, I only I only say this because I think it factored in. I only uh, I I watched it before I watched The Fugitive, and I guess the reason why that's an interesting comparison is is sort of. I think I did too, to be honest. Sort of, <laughs> sort of ends at, uh, they're both crime movies, <laughs> like, um, yeah, but they're, they're well, very different. One is a very slow kind of movie. Yeah, one's definitely like, a and detective. one of them's very fast paced and focused on action. Yeah, exactly. You know, once once that that you don't really think about it. Maybe it's a good thing to kind of like draw out the salient elements of both. But like one of these is a is a real yeah. noir. It's the detective. You're following him around. You're learning about the, um, 
uh, mystery unraveling as he's learning about it, and he, he's sort of waiting and for him to all all piece it very together. rigorously all through the detective's point of view, the whole movie right. as well. Whereas, uh, like the the fugitive is, is 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 not. It's a um, it's a pursuit film. It's a uh, a chase film. It's an action thriller as well. Um, so yeah, um, I I did like it. I really was intrigued by. Um, the period and the cinematography. I think most of all, I really loved watching a young Jack Nicholson. Um, yeah, I really got an appreciation for what a fucking great yeah. actor he is as well. That, yeah. My favorite. I'd never bit seen him in a role like this range. before as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, th- th- there's that bit where he's telling the the, the racist joke in his office, <laughs> and the um, his client is standing behind him, and he doesn't realize. Yeah. I thought that and he was... gets this like. He gets this maniacal look in his eye. So, yeah, the, the the bit is he walks into the office and it's one of those moments that's been parodied a thousand times. So maybe this was like one of the yeah. first. But whether he's trying, it, he's telling this joke to two people and the two people are like, uh, Jake, look, look And he's like, no, no, look let me finish he's like, this racist Shut up, joke. Jimmy. Why are you always trying to make me look behind me? And he finishes this like really racist joke. And then he turns around and he's like, duh. Um, yeah, because his but, client but is Jack Nicholson. It. He he totally flies off the chain. It's this really manic. Yeah, laugh, he does. Yeah, and he has this crazed look in his eye that really kind of like it's the only time he does it in the whole mm. movie. And in a way, it's kind of like a slap. And then the rest, of it, it, he's so good. Yeah. He's very sort of contemplative and um, I don't know, really believable. Yeah, in a way where like. In every other movie I've seen him in, especially in like The Shining, which is I think around the same kind of time period, he's like Jack uh, fucking Nicholson, yeah. and he's almost like he's almost like Johnny Depp in a way where he's sort of larger than life in a I way where you don't like really believe. Yeah, nineteen eighty. So six years later, okay, yeah, sure. He looks a lot still, older in still, The Shining. Though. He looks really young in this movie. It's shocking how young he looks. He does, doesn't yeah. he? Well, he's been he's been in movies since like nineteen sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. But so he's been in he's been around. He looks like early twenties, which maybe uh, sorry, not early, late twenties. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There's lots of really interesting shots in this movie um that sort of emphasize the in the detective perspective kind of aspects of the movie. Okay. Like there are bits where he'll have binoculars and the shot isn't just through the binoculars, it's the reflection off the <laughs> yeah. lens of which the binoculars. Was like special effects which I think time. is really cool. I was about to bring this up. There's yeah. a couple of different ones. There's like ones where he's looking in the rearview mirror of his car. And there's another one where uh, I can't remember, but there's oh the lens of his camera as well, and yeah. it's very clearly maybe that's the one I'm thinking. No, that it's both. So once well, yeah. he, he has, it's got like a binoculars thing, and then he also has the lens of his camera. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, it's very clearly like they've double exposed it so that one exposure is like the, the him pointing the camera with a black disc over the front of the camera lens, and then they've gone back and re-exposed. The only oh, the that's cool. Lens I didn't bit. even notice. Yeah. I didn't even I notice that. that. It was that's like really 100%, cool. Because um, the the light <laughs> just wasn't right or something. But I imagine at the time that would have yeah, like right. blown people's fucking minds. I was totally immersed. Yeah, it. It it's really great. cool. And there's lots of old school detective stuff that I found really engaging. Like the the bit where he has like a he he opens up his glove box and he has a glove box full of pocket watches. Oh, <laughs> that was so cool. All right. So, what the fuck's up yeah, with that? Yeah, he puts the pocket watch under the... He's following a guy, and he doesn't want to have to hang around the whole night until he leaves. So he puts a pocket watch behind the dude's tire, and then when the dude yeah. reverses over it, it breaks the pocket watch at that time, so he knows when he left. Yeah. Which I was like, <laughs> what's then, he doing? And then it showed the bro- broken pocket watch, and I was like, oh, shit, that's like, oh, really cool. cool. 
Surely no one ever did that, but that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think it's a good sign of a movie where, like, the movie could easily, like, double bluff you and triple bluff mm. you where they go, like, oh, yeah, but the guy saw that there was a watch there, so he moved it. So I, I like where there's an, enough complexity where it shows the detective smarter than the guy, and it's like, great, that's it. Yeah. But then the movie yeah. still does. So the, the, the movie, it doesn't ever make you feel like you're, you're wasting your time because Jack Nicholson's always got the upper right. hand. Because on the other hand, he always seems to be a step behind the action yeah, as it goes are, um, from scene to scene yeah people are people are moving around and he's not he's not privy to all of it he's not privy to everything that's yeah. going on he doesn't catch it all and it's all know? the all the machinations behind the scenes that mean that like even if he's like this this smart uh, uh smarmy kind of guy scene to scene He's still sort of behind the eight ball through the whole movie, and it really gives this sort of forward momentum. This this, mm. this idea of suspense that I found that, like, even though I suppose some might watch this movie and find it quite slow, which I feel like is maybe what you're getting at with the comparison to the fugitive, I, I, I still yeah. found that it had enough momentum behind it, and it never felt like it was wasting my time. Like, it right. never felt like there was a scene where I'm like, all right, well, this is just indulgent bullshit. What are we doing here? Like, it always felt like there was, it was something It was really happening. compelling. Yeah, every scene propelled yeah. the plot forward um, in, at a satisfactory rate. Yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, quick nod to... not. I was going to say the cinematography. That was good, but more just like the way that things look in this movie has that real quality of the era to it. I think they used yeah. some gorgeous anamorphic lenses on this, which means that, like... Who gives a fuck about what lens was used? Sure. But <laughs> what that results in is some brilliant um, reflections at certain points and like lens flares and glints and stuff that just make stuff look like they're <laughs> out of like... Sure. You, you would put like... You'd use like an iPhone app to put the effect in over modern footage that this thing cost yeah. thousands of dollars to, to capture at the time. Um, and yeah. it makes it look really gorgeous. Um yeah, I really liked. Oh, the, it's so good. The, uh, you could tell that there was a real like vintage class to the way that this movie was made, um, which was sick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, low point for me: uh, Jack Nicholson <laughs> is trying to extract a um, confession from someone, <clears throat> from a woman, and he, he just slaps her like five times. <laughs> 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 That's the way that he gets the confession, and like, it's not brought up as this like he's really. Like, like I, I don't know, maybe it was at the time, but it didn't feel like it focused on it enough for it to be like, a, boy, this dude's think, really gone off the rails. Nah, I think half of the point of that is that you think that they're going for some sort of femme fatale kind of figure. I, I'm assuming it was some bait and switch. And I didn't want to spoil it in case people want to watch it. Oh, uh, okay. I, I, we've almost bought uh, You stopped me just at the uh, right yeah, time. Yeah, I, I reckon leave it. But there's more to her. There's obviously more to her character than he. And the way that they justify that, I feel like, makes it and almost explains why it is that she's being treated so roughly throughout. Right. The movie. Yeah. For sure. And like, um, yeah, it f- it fits with like the the tragicness of her character, I suppose. But when it happened, yeah, ex- I was exactly. like, Jesus Christ, is this just how men spoke to women in the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> to be but fair, like, though, yeah, by that point of the movie, she, she wasn't saying the right thing. So <laughs> Jack Nicholson has been absolutely fucked around by her to no yeah, end. Yeah, that's, that's true. And like, again, if it was a dude, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. I think it's just not really like, yeah, it's set up to be such a moment of like, whoa, Jesus Christ. When a dude like <laughs> yeah, yeah. backhands a woman and the first time it happened, I was like, holy fuck. All right. This guy's out of control. Yeah. And then he just slaps it like, yeah. Four more <laughs> times back and forth. But she, and it's and almost she changes comical. her answer every time. But you like, 
I'm sure that's been parodied, and I just didn't know it because it's it's it was it was good almost shit. funny how it happened. Like the way that yeah. she she says like yeah, she's like a slap b slap a slap b slap. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it was it was brutal at the time. Yeah, yeah, but thinking yeah, about it now, yeah. it's funny. Um, my favorite line in the whole thing. Um, so he gets this stack. He, he says like, oh, do you mind if I take one of your business cards in case I need to get in contact with you later? One of these like waterboard <laughs> officials, and he takes he like stuffs- a fucking. 18 of them in his pocket. Like a fat stack <laughs> yeah. of them. And any time he needs to get anywhere, anywhere he's like, I'm uh, J- Barry, Barry yeah, Miles. Yeah. See, here's my business yeah, card. He pretends to be like, the like head man, of the would, water. would that have worked? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so he just like, I, well, I you love gotta keep that. in mind, dude, is back in, the, back in the 40s, everyone was stupid. And so, yeah, it probably would have worked. And if you were the one, he, he was LA's, he was LA's smart guy. They only had one, and yeah. he was it. And so, get, that's unfettered he, access he, to everyone, baby. He gets through the guard checkpoint and down to like where the where the the crime scene is, and his like rival on the police force is like, "Hey, Jack, Jack, how'd you get past the guard?" They made me like, lied a little. Well, to <laughs> yeah, he's like, to tell you the truth, Ed, I I lied a little. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Good shit. No, I, I really I really enjoyed Chinatown. Say, I think it was um, the, the so the the famous line from this movie is uh, "Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown." And uh, again, without yeah. spoiling it, I really like the the way that all of that and that theme and that motif is drawn across the whole film. Where like he started off being this yeah. cop in Chinatown, um, and uh, at some point, someone asked him like, "Oh, what did you do in Chinatown?" And he was like, "As little as possible." And it's a way of summing up this really elegantly summing up the corruption that's taking place there, and the fact that that keeps getting folded back in on itself and coming back up is 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 really elegant uh, and i think it's a, a quite a good script yeah i've i've heard this said in more places than one that it, this is considered like one of the greatest screenplays of all right time. and certainly at the time i can imagine it would have been um interesting note about the actual screenplay itself uh robert towns wanted did do you know about the difference between the actual end and the uh, and that's in the movie. The end that was in the script, and the end that's in the movie. No. no. Okay, so um, uh, uh, again, I'm not going to spoil it. So this might be quite frustrating, but um, a major character is shot at the end of the film, uh, and uh, that was Roman Polanski's call. And the original script, that person was meant to get away, but sort of be permanently prevented from being able to to talk about the story because of the embarrassing nature of their circumstances that they didn't yeah, they yeah, could really yeah. ever tell anyone about. So that was meant to be <laughs> Man, the, I know what you're talking the, about and I hate this. Well that was meant to be that it was meant to be like quite a poetic and tragic ending and then Roman Polanski was like, nah, just make it simple. Just make them get shot. They're gonna get shot. And it's gonna be really brutal and quick and tragic. And um, there's been some debate. Yeah. Over, I, I saw an interview with the writer that was like 25 years later. And he was like, yeah, I guess maybe Polanski's ending was better. And I feel like he must just be haunted by that screenplay. It's like he harper lead himself. And that's all anyone ever yeah. really wants to talk to him about is like the ending of Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> like, why Why'd you choose to shoot him right, at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I enjoyed it. Um, I'd recommend it if you're interested in like doing a bit of a historic dive on this type of film. It's well made. It's compelling, and uh, I really liked. I-, I think it made me. It did make me want to do a bit of a deeper dive on Nicholson's filmography. Um, yeah, because well, he's always he just absolutely captures any scene that he's in. 
He's so magnetic mm. in this as well. It's he's so good. Um, so yeah, this this movie. Oh, I, I feel like Faye Dunaway, the, the 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 leading lady, also does a really great job. Um, she's she's really good. This. I it's she, you just maybe it's a uh, fact that it's a period piece, but you really forget that she's playing a character. She just is that person, which yeah. is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna pull this fact half out of my ass, but I think that the guy that plays Faye Dunaway's father in this is a famous film director. I think that's the direct. I'm gonna say it's something like he's the director of the Maltese Falcon or something. Oh, like okay. That. I think that's so. There's a bit I of a that's tribute John there Houston, as well, perhaps. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, a uh, famous um, American film director, screenwriter, actor, and visual artist. He did direct The Maltese Falcon. Yeah, cool. Well done. Like fucking hell, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine um, if you knew things that were uh, useful. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it was so good. Yeah. Uh, anyone, If anyone knows the first law of thermodynamics, please email me. Um, the thing I liked the most about this movie was that I've always wanted to get more into those old detective movies. And I feel like when I go back in, you sort of they're so old, but you sort of go... Uh, no, maybe not. But this is like what I wish they were. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's also you know why it I got mean. made. Is that they? Yeah, it was sort of. It's meant to yeah. be the distillation of all of those types of films into the perfect form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I feel like the most frustrating thing now is going back and googling like best detective movies and Chinatown is at right, the top of the list. right, like, right. Great. Well, I, I already watched that. One. <laughs> busted my nut too early. Yeah. But I've heard that other movies that are in this conversation are the Humphrey Bogart ones, like uh, The Maltese Falcon and The Big Sleep, which I've both rented on iTunes now. So we're going to go in and watch those oh, soon. Okay. Cool. But uh, yes, but highly recommended this yeah, one. Yeah, okay, cool. Should we go along and talk about the future? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, maybe there's less to talk about with this one. Um, yeah. But, uh, but we'll see. So, okay, um, what is The Fugitive? It is a 93 film, which feels later than it actually... I, I feel like I thought yeah, I thought it was an 80s film, but it was actually like early 90s. And maybe that's because it captured the essence of the 80s. Um, in yeah. the same way that like, you know how everyone thinks like 90s culture is actually a lot of early 2000s culture. And it's because it was like <laughs> late. Anyway, whatever. Okay, yeah, whatever, so yeah. it's a Harrison Ford... 1993. Uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Tommy Lee Jones... Um, as we said earlier, it's kind of pursuit film. I guess those are the two really main people in it. Um, Harrison Ford is a uh, doctor, a surgeon, uh, who basically very quickly at the uh, opening of the film um, is convicted of killing his wife. He's on his way to prison within the first right. 15 minutes. And so like he, his story is, I got called to the hospital and when I came home... There was a man that was in my house. It was he had he had a prosthetic arm, <laughs> and I came home and he was there. And my wife was had been attacked, and so I tried to fend him off. I tried to save her. I couldn't. She died, and that's what happened. And then and then he and then he fled the scene. And they're like, right, they're like, we can't find the girl. Yeah, yeah, right. There's no evidence of a break-in in your house. And your wife called 911 and said your exactly. name. And so, so there's this 911 call where she <laughs> says, like, Kimball, he's trying to kill me. And yeah. um, Kimball is the Harrison Ford's last name. And so, yeah. um, yes, I guess. And then the, the, the <laughs> thing that happens that the rest of the – that sort of sets off – sets in motion the events of the rest of the film is that Kimball's on the prison bus – on the way to the prison. And I'm not sure, I'd be. I'd love to know in the same way that Chinatown had this a fair bit, if this was the first movie to do the prison bus crash. They do that exact scene in that Predator movie. Right. 
So the new Predator movie that we did on the pod with um yeah the, the new one. I feel like it's been done a bunch. Um, maybe it maybe yeah, it like hasn't, and it's just really salient with like yeah, with like a few. I don't know. Like I bus. feel like they yeah. I feel like they use the same bus. <laughs> like it's that. But I, <laughs> it's, but it's I, that scene. I feel like it's been done before. It must have been parodied. I think maybe this was in uh, one of those uh, Leslie Nielsen parody films that yeah, we talk maybe. about. Oh, the na- the Naked Gun. Yeah, or something, something like yeah. That. Anyway, the prison bus crashes. It goes catastrophically wrong. It's very violent, and then uh, yeah. it's crashed onto a train track. <laughs> so it's like yeah. this scene where um he has to help. He helps someone get off this, and this injured guy get off the bus, and then uh he ends up with the keys. Train to his plows through the bus. Right. So a few people survive that. They all s- sort of go their own separate ways, but they've all managed to get out of the cuffs and stuff. And then the U.S. Marshal, who I think is like the U.S. I, I, it's really interesting how the federal oh, law know. works. It's like the AFP I think it's like the AFP shit. for the know. states, yeah. but obviously yeah. way more intense because they've got 50 states over there. So it, it takes real <laughs> shit for them to get yeah. called up. So they're trying to track him down. So the rest of the movie is Tommy Lee Jones trying to catch Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford. Tommy Lee Jones, the U.S. Marshal's team, um, trying to do whatever he can to catch Harrison Ford, who's... Harrison Ford, meanwhile, is on the run trying to find his wife's real killer. Right. Um, so he's it, it's it's it follows this really interesting pace of events where like uh, he following the crash he's he's injured. Um, I feel like it follows the same pattern as any of these pursuit stories, um, but yeah. following the crash he's injured. Uh, and he's a surgeon. So he goes to the hospital. He knows how to move through a hospital. He knows where what he needs to. I think. Um, it reminded me of like Terminator where he goes to the vet clinic or maybe Terminator 2. Yeah. He goes to the vet clinic and like has to do surgery on himself or whatever. Um, yeah. Or find someone that can. But it's that idea of like they're they're injured and then after they're injured, they have this other objective and they've got to get to business. So he starts off having to tend to his wounds and he does that. And then, yeah, you're right. The next thing he, he's like, right, I got to find who it actually was because then they will let me go. And one of the interesting things about it is that he's almost immediately cornered by the U.S. Marshals. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things in the film is that almost immediately he actually comes face-to-face with Tommy Lee Jones' character. Um, He doesn't sort of fuck around having them miss close miss each other for ages. (laughs) And and Tommy Lee Jones is spectacularly (laughs) unlucky throughout this film, but literally to the point where like... He's um, my spirit animal in this movie. Where like Harrison Ford, (laughs) like the first time they meet, Harrison Ford's like, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite lines. He's like, I'm just following the system, brother. And then later... (laughs) This piece of paper says you did. There's this dam that Harrison Ford jumps off to, to escape. And, um... Tommy Lee Jones is like talking to all these people in front of the dam about like how big he wants the perimeter to be and all the logistical stuff. And he's like, oh, why haven't they turned off the damn water yet? <laughs> like he's some good. of the best line readings in years that I've had. He's just it's wonderful. Like, but at the start of that monologue, he says, turn off the water. And I want this and this and this and this. And why is the water still running? It's so funny, It's good. It's really good. It's, it's always like if it was my job to turn off the water, I would have been staying to wait for him to finish talking. Yeah, <laughs> and he would be angry um, that you'd waited. Yeah, it was very, very yeah. Um, So I, I liked uh, that Har- Harrison Ford jumps off the dam and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then the next scene is Tommy Lee Jones flipping out that he's lost Harrison Ford yeah. and the, the guy standing next to him being like, 
It's like a one in a million chance he survives that <laughs> yeah, jump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I thought that the end- and Toby Lee Jones is like, I don't want to hear that right now. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I thought that an interesting part of the, about this movie, for all the fun that it is to watch that Toby Lee Jones uh, <laughs> fail at every turn, I thought that the overall through line of the movie for me wasn't that compelling. But each, right. a lot of the individual scenes were very, very well done. Like already with Breeze past, like I think, I think you could list about ten, ten iconic scenes in this movie that are that are brilliant. And like yeah. it's it, it's it's almost as if they they put those on a pinboard and tried to string their way through those. Like right. there's the the uh, the bus crash and the train crash. Which are both iconic, I suppose, in a way where you see them and you feel like you've seen them before. That train crash, I watched a making of. They did that for real with a real train and a real bus this. at life size. Yeah. I, I watched a making of where they said they got yeah, like one, it was something one, like eleven one or twelve <laughs> one shot, like eleven or twelve cameras. They found like <laughs> the only private railroad they could get, and they had to move go to fucking North Carolina Jesus. to get on this private railroad. They built this like they built a train that cost like twenty grand. Um, and they they built the shack and the the hut by the side of the train track that get obliterated by all these logs. There's like a there's like a, a train car full of huge logs, and the the stunt coordinator before the shots like all oh, those logs are real life size. They're gonna become spears. We gotta stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Far back. Yeah. They said that out of out of all the um. Uh, they had like 12 cameras there was one camera that was just buried under all this rubble <laughs> and it belonged to this one dude and after they oh, did the no. shot apparently like most of the people fucked off and that dude was there like digging through rubble to get his oh, camera for like two and a half hours <laughs> and they and they got all the shot they got the shot but like that was how full on the whole the whole shot was it took him two and a half hours of digging through rubble and dirt and shit to get his Probably camera some back poor, like, and it filmed second unit <laughs> Whoever Second it was. assistant guy that just was three. rich and had a camera or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> three of their tw- three of their twelve cinema cameras were completely destroyed. Like they couldn't get footage of them at all. Forty four million dollar budget. That sounds like that was about <laughs> half of it. <laughs> so the, the train crash is pretty cool, That's but sick. like. Um, but there's all these all these iconic scenes that are brilliant, like the scene where he's in the hospital patching himself up and shaving is great. There's, I could go on. There's so yeah, many the scene fucking where he, awesome um, scenes. He's pretending to. He's. Pre- I don't know. So much of this movie felt, um, felt iconic in ways where I felt like I'd seen it parodied or used or nodded to, but I'd never actually watched the original source material. Well, should we say? I feel like the the reason why we watched this. Well, yeah, th- in the first so place is that th- train scene. Uh, uh, with the janitor from Scrubs. Yeah, that's not why I watched it. So we we have two different reasons then. Um, I think that's probably why I first knew about it. But yeah, what, what yeah, I, I thought that's why, I thought that's why we were. There's watching. one more moment that was really iconic to me, which is where he's in the hospital and um he's dressed up as the janitor, uh, and someone is like, uh, "Hey, can you wheel this guy, this little, this young boy, to this place?" And he's been like looking at the guy, and he's like check the chart check the chart because he's a surgeon and the the, the yeah. attending is just like not looking at him properly and so he's he gets told to wheel this boy to this place and he's like all right yeah sure and he wheels him in the opposite direction and does this like full diagnostic thing and writes on the the boy's chart like this is what's wrong with him and then he takes him to the right like place forges like, a this, new this diagnosis kid needs, yeah. like, really urgent surgery he's gonna die um 
And I feel like that, the idea of like someone being in disguise, but still compelled to be who they originally were so that they're shown to be like a morally upstanding character is like something that I've seen before. Well, they do that a couple times, like when mm. he pulls the prison guard out of the bus, the prison guard doesn't die. I, I feel like it was crash. trying really hard to just show you, like, this isn't, <clears throat> this guy wouldn't kill his wife, you know? Yeah. You're like, I get it, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, do you know what I mean about the film not, like, really, I don't know, connecting properly? Like, I, I, I feel like I, re- I really didn't get much of a through line that I found compelling. Like, I sort of didn't. I feel like maybe it rushed so fast through the conviction and everything that I almost didn't give a fuck. Oh, no. Yeah, I cared. The rest of yeah. the movie was him trying to find his wife. Like, I liked all the action scenes and I liked all the individual scenes. But when the when the, when the the motivation for the audience watching this movie is like, oh, I hope this guy, like, vindicates himself, I sort of didn't care. I thought it was, in, yeah, it was an interesting execution of the idea of like, well, he's on death row, so even if they arrest him, he's fucking dead anyway, so he might as well just try well, yeah. anything. Um, I suppose so, so that was yeah, it's like a guy me. with nothing to lose kind of Which thing. Which is not a new concept at all, but you know, no. I thought it was interesting. It was, again, another example of like a very famous actor in a slightly younger... Uh, role I'd not seen yeah, Julian Julian Moore was the doctor. Yeah, but I hadn't seen Harrison Ford do anything uh, this young. I think maybe this must have been like uh, way after. Have you seen Indiana, Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and st- a little a little old film about a war that happens in the stars. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's obviously done Star Wars and Indiana Jones by this point. <laughs> um, but I hadn't seen him do much else Runner? because then like. Well, yeah, that's when he was really young, right? Because that was like 84. So this is 93. He's, he's, you know, a decade on. Getting, he's getting up there. Yeah. And he's still rock. He's still going great in this movie, right. I thought. I thought he was good in it. So, yeah, I guess it's... Well, okay, so here's what I guess I actually mean, is that it's a funny mid-period between really young Harrison Ford yeah. and old as yeah. fuck Harrison Ford, where you're like, yeah. that guy... <laughs> It's elder abuse having him in a movie. Like, what is he even doing in this Get him movie? Back you know, to I think bed he still, he still holds his own his in this. Yeah. Something I really liked about Harrison Ford's performance in this movie is the range that you get from him in this. Mm. I feel like in a in a Indiana Jones or in in a in a in a Han Solo performance, he's really just like stoic or maybe a bit frantic and a bit shaken, but that's it. Whereas in this, he's from like absolutely fucking panicked mm. to like. So like at the beginning of the movie when he's being when he's in the interview where he's being and he realizes he's that he's a of, suspect. Yeah, he's on the verge of tears yeah. and he gets really angry and really like emotional and then uh, I, I just thought it was really great yeah. and I think this is some of the big the best like fight scenes I've seen Harrison Ford do as well. Oh yeah, yeah sure yeah yeah yeah. I am um, I I felt I was compelled by the through line of the film. It had me pretty hooked the whole time. I feel like I was so confident that the through line would that, that it wouldn't be important that he finds out who his wife was because it went through the prison who, it, who went killed from, him. it went through the <laughs> conviction of the court was, case. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> Who's my <laughs> wife? It's <laughs> a Batman Joker interrogation scene, but he's just punching <laughs> him and saying, Tell me who my wife is. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good idea for like a reality show. Yeah. What? <laughs> Someone doesn't know who their wife is. 
it's like a sci-fi reality show where they wipe some important piece of crucial information from your memory, from your memory. Like who's who's your the wife? eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. You the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Like your social security number out yeah. of your head or something. And there's a guy in a room tied to a chair. And they're like you have to beat the shit out of this guy <laughs> and convince him to tell you who your wife is. That's why you're not in charge of making television shows. <laughs> I'd That's not that. possible for hmm, two reasons. <laughs> um, no, it was just the idea that like he's in prison by like 13 minutes in, and I thought like, oh, that was so quick. Then the rest of this movie is clearly not going to be anything about his guilt or otherwise in this court case. It's just going to be about him running away. And he's going to be like in Alaska by the end of the movie or some shit. So when the movie starts to slow down, like there's two, there's like the first half, the first half of this chase, like the first 45 minutes after he's on the run is over the course of like one or two days, maybe like he hasn't slept. Yeah. And then the movie really pumps the brakes and he's like working as a janitor for a couple days when he finds a place to rent. And when the movie really starts to slow down, that's sort of when I sort of started to really look for those action set pieces to keep me going because I, I didn't really find myself connecting as much with his character's motivation as much as I did with the excellent action. Okay. I, uh, I, I yeah, I do agree a little bit in that... Um, I found myself caring less about... I wanted him to be proved innocent. I wanted him to get his redemptive yeah. arc. And I also wanted Tommy Lee Jones. And the fact that Tommy Lee Jones cottons on that there's something else weird going on here relatively, maybe like halfway through the movie, um, yeah. was really nice because then you kind of had hope that both people would realize what was going on, you know, and it was, it would Tommy Lee Jones wasn't just being this unreasonable. Right. Cause like, that's a really frustrating character in a good way where like the, the, um, relentless, uh, legal enforcement person where they're just like, man, uh, (laughs) I don't care if you killed your wife or not. I just need someone in cuffs. Um, and yeah, literally they say that at the start of the movie at the start. It's a a great turn. So I found that, but but the subplot with the pharmaceutical company was like, yeah, I didn't give a fuck about that compelling. either. Yeah, much less compelling. And I think that almost came out of nowhere, where like it tried to it tried to do this reveal, where it's like, and this is this conspiracy about the pharmaceuticals, and I went, oh, what are you talking about? Right. What, what are you talking right. about? The pharmaceutical trials <laughs> so and shit. Like, the funny thing about I, this, I completely forgot that was part of it. The funny thing about this is, and I like, it's. The reason why I watched this, um, not the reason why you watched it. So yeah, the reason why you watched it, or maybe the reason you knew about it, is because the I didn't really want to watch it. I thought you wanted to watch it because they I mentioned did. it in Scrubs, no. and I said, "Sure, I wanted I'll to watch, watch it for it. different reasons." So the janitor from Scrubs has a walk-on role in this movie, basically, um, <laughs> and they actually make reference to it in Scrubs, where one of the characters it's a whole is, subplot it's, of an, an episode, episode <laughs> where they're like, "You look exactly like that dude who plays the cop in." Um, <laughs> in the fugitive, and they get him to the point where, like, that he reenacts the scene in Scrubs. <laughs> it's very funny, um, but I'd never seen the original, so it was like probably totally lost on like twelve-year-old me. Um, but yeah, I wanted to watch it because there's a John Mulaney bit about this movie, um, right? Where, uh, yeah, and like this is a light spoiler. So if you're super interested in watching the fugitive. Um, then <laughs> you're say, if you're really interested in watching John Mulaney, <laughs> no, no, no. then this factors in. Um, but like, I we've sort I, of spoiled it already. Yeah, I suppose. 
Um, but <laughs> the bit where he goes, you switched the samples. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a John Mulaney bit. And right. I was really excited to watch it so that I would get the John Mulaney joke more. And now... What's John Mulaney's bit? I've forgotten the bit. Do it. I can't remember the bit. <laughs> and so I'm going to have to watch the John Mulaney bit again after I've watched the oh, movie that the bit That's is about. That's good. You've forgotten the bit. So, so that I can watch the John Mulaney bit because I didn't really get it the first time. And you don't yeah. need the... I feel like to some degree... You don't need the bit. Part uh, of the bit is about how he does the whole movie scene in the stand-up routine and he keeps going back and elaborating on it because otherwise you won't get the yeah. joke. Which is funny. I feel like... Yeah, to some to some degree, the fact that he's picked a twenty five year old movie is part right. of it. Like. And then the, the, the biggest <laughs> irony of it was that I realized at the movie's credits that like, oh, that really wasn't a big linchpin moment in the film. Like, I didn't really need to, <laughs> I didn't really need to watch the whole thing to understand the significance of it or anything like that. So, yeah. Anyway, um, but what I will say about this movie is, uh, I think I appreciate Chinatown as a cinematic achievement a lot more. Um, yeah, and I think it's much better lasting. Uh, but I will say the fugitive is candy. It's it's lollies. It's that's, junk food. That's what I got out it's of it. So good. It's a fucking McDonald's meal. Yeah, to me, to me, there's like any number of action thrillers that you can throw a dart at and hit that are four, four or five stars. I think this is, you know? well, no, and I think, I think this is one of those. a lot of them are two and a half or three stars. And well, no, I think you know what I mean, though? It, it's like, one. if you look at it and go, I'm not going to watch The Fast and the Furious, I'm not going to watch fucking that shitty James Bond movie. Right. What, you, know, you know what I mean? You get yeah. to like an upper echelon where, I, but I already know that I have the choice of the Bourne identity. Right, I was about I was about to bring up the Bourne movies because those are probably the biggest like pursuit movies I can think of. Yeah, and, and, and so I, I feel like at a certain point, I'm not the biggest action movie guy. Yeah. but at a certain point, I feel like there gets to be a point where it's like just watch the newest ones. <laughs> right, and <there's, laughs> you know what I mean. The, the, this like, has been improved upon for sure. I like how 80s it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly. I, I think the the things that I enjoyed about it most were Harrison Ford's performance, uh, even above yeah. that, Tommy Lee Jones' performance. Um, I really like uh, Joe Pantoliano, um, who plays sort the of fuck was that? Tommy Lee Jones's smartass two IC. He's also in the Is Sopranos. That the guy who gets deafened by the gun. Uh, no, he's the guy that gets smacked that's, by the. Could say He's well. the guy that gets smacked by the uh, girder that. The, the dude swings in the factory. Oh, scene in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the bit with the gun where Tom, Tommy fires like, a gun right at the dude's me? ear. You always yell at me when you want stuff. Why don't you yell at her? You never yell at her. And then he, Tommy Lee Jones turns around and yells at this dude that like just came onto the scene. And he's like, that's better. You're yelling at that guy. Great. <laughs> I love that dude in every yeah, movie. He's also the guy that betrays everyone in the first Matrix movie with the goatee and the thing. Oh, the yeah. guy who eats the yeah, steak. Yeah, the steak guy. The red yeah. dress lady. Yeah, yeah, That's Joe Pantoliano. There yeah. you go. I saw him in The Sopranos. Yeah, I was go. like, Jesus Christ. And then he's in it for like three seasons. Guys, in everything. It's great. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, oh, well, yeah. yeah. But, so my, my, my link about action movies it gets me to my better than worse. And I don't have a better than. I don't watch many Damn. action movies. And I don't... It's not to say this is terrible. I really liked it. I liked it okay. I think I think on Letterboxd, I gave it three and a half or three or whatever. But I'm not much of a ratings guy, of course. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, I think that if you want to watch this movie, it's probably not as good as The Born Identity, 
and it's not as good as Die Hard. Die Hard is a contemporary of... I think Die Hard is an 80s one, but Die Hard is better than this. Yeah. Born Identity is better than this. I'd say if you wanted to really pin me to something, Catch Me If You Can is one of my favourite movies. Okay. But I definitely understand how some people might see Catch Me If You Can as a bit too cheesy, a bit too Tom Hanksy, Steven Spielberg. It's sort of, yeah. So for the right person, I could see how this could be better than Catch Me If You Can and worse than The Bourne Identity. Okay. Um, but I personally rate all of the movies I mentioned higher than this. In its echelon, I'm going to say... But those are way high, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In its echelon, I'm going to say this was much better than Con Air. I haven't seen Con Air. It's a 97 action movie um, with Nicolas Cage in it. Uh, it's a little... It's, it's a bit wackier, I guess. Um, but I liked this better than I liked that. Uh, there's also Speed, the 1994 uh, movie about Keanu Reeves right. who can't yeah, drop yeah, the yeah. bus below so, so these, are these, these are these iconic action movies that I've never yeah. seen. I think you should watch Speed. I think Speed is a much more interesting concept. Uh, in hindsight, I think it would have been a fucking nightmare to film. Just then I had the thought I should go back and watch it because I really want to know how they filmed all of it. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think this was. I enjoyed this. I think on paper less than I enjoyed Speed, but I haven't seen it in ages, so might not be accurate. But I'm going to say my better than worse than is it was better than Conair, worse than Speed. Right. Okay. Great. Well, that sounds like a much more informed one than mine. That's the end of our episode, then, right? We're we're still getting the time down. This is going to cut down to a good minute, uh, hour twenty, 20 or something, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> See how we go. Um, thank you for listening to another week. We haven't decided what we're going to do next week yet, but read the description and you'll be able to follow along with us to keep up to date for next week. Our email address is beefstationpod at gmail dot com. Yeah, love to hear We've got a whole bunch of Facebook comments. Yeah, suggested stuff. We have got a whole bunch of time on our hands to watch shit on Netflix. Um, mm. We're on Letterboxd, so I'm making lists of stuff I want to see. But as Andrew said last week, if whatever you suggest is something that's on my list anyway oh yeah yep definitely bump you right to the top of the list (laughs) um uh, we've done a couple a bunch of serious movies recently i'm in for something a bit fun so i I don't know if there's any uh, any old uh have you scrolled the comedy section on netflix fucking dire man abysmal oh my god uh we got we got a facebook group that's dying but if you can come in and rejuvenate it for us that'd be great uh we got a facebook page you can like us on as well uh i think that's it right Yeah. yeah Thank you for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later.